Welcome to Being the Dot. I'm your host, Dr. Stacy. Each week, I invite a guest to share their experiences of being a person of color in white spaces. Today's topic, code switching. You may remember some time ago, a skit of Peel and Key of President Obama and Luther, his anger translator, or even the recent vice presidential debate where you saw code switching happening in our vice presidential candidate, Kamala Harris. Code switching is modifying one's behavior and or appearance to adapt to social cultural norms. Our guest today is a master at code switching, and we are fortunate to have her with us. Dr. Lisa Scott received her doctorate degree from Chicago School of Professional Psychology. She's a longtime higher ed administrator and consultant whose research focuses on leadership, organizational culture, equity, and inclusion. Please welcome to the podcast our guest daughter today, Dr. Lisa Scott. Good morning, Dr. Stacy. How are oh, you? I'm good. How are you doing? I am wonderful. Well, I'm wonderful. I am thrilled to have this conversation with you and, and look forward to the pearls of wisdom that you have to share from your own journey and trajectory. So let's just get to it. Very good. <clears throat> could you could you start with sharing um, just a little bit about your own uh, life trajectory and or career trajectory? You can pick which one or both. And like, when, when did you first learn that this was something that... African-American folks and others do? So it's a really good question. And I should say, you know, really thank you for inviting me on. Um, and I should also say that this is, you know, I'm, my background is not in communication. And, um, and so this is really emanating from my, my conversation. My, my thoughts are really about my personal experience. Which is exactly That's, what we're hoping for. <laughs> that said, I, I learned early on as a child about code switching. Right. In my household, um, all one had to do was listen to my mom on the phone. Mm -hmm. I could tell by the tone of voice, by her tone of voice. Um, and, and, and it wasn't just my mom, it was my aunts. And, and I, interestingly enough, as I was thinking about this the last couple of days, it was mostly my aunties. It was mostly the aunts that I really listened to. I heard code switching from, and that's a whole other um, podcast, but I, I, um, I could be in the, you know, two rooms away and know that my mother was talking to either a family member uh, a teacher, a colleague, by the tone of her voice, by the, the very lilt in her voice mm, um, and mm -hmm. the language she was using. And I couldn't, even if I wasn't listening to content, I could mm -hmm. tell by the tone of her voice mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> who was on the other end, if not specifically, certainly generally, who was on the other end. So I learned early on, or I intuited, is what I would say early on, that there are different uh, ways of being with different people mm -hmm. and there are just different modes of communication um, um, with with uh, different people, and I would so I would add to your list of body language and and behavior. To, uh, I would add language to that because that's why I really, um, at least when I, in my very early years, you know, um, understood. And of course, I didn't have the language of code switching, but I do know that my mother switched, that my auntie switched, um, and as I grew older um, and got really, I, I would say when I first became um, conscious, though, that it was a thing 
um, I was probably in high school. Mm. I was probably in high school. And um, even though I went to a predominantly white high school, I had um, any number of black teachers mm-hmm. and um, they were uh, pretty amazing as, as were most of my teachers. But I had, I, in particular, I had two black teachers and one in, in one year I had a, so I had a black lit class in high school back in the day, which was wow. in, in and of itself, right? An anomaly. And this was taught by a woman PhD. In fact, the, the black lit course was her PhD, mm. right? Mm-hmm. That was her PhD. And then I had a history teacher who was, um, was a black man. He code switched all the time. Well, my, well, my, all the time and allowed it in class. Mm-hmm. While my um, black lit, black lit teacher was standard English and standard English only, though she was teaching black lit, mm-hmm. right? So it, it was it was this juxtaposition that I could go from um, either one in the course of a day, mm-hmm. right? And you just it was a little bit of a head twist. It was like, oh, I can't I can't say that in that class, but I could say that in that class, and I could even use it. Even it even was evident in our homework. Mm-hmm. If there was a paper I could I had to write, I could use um, what I would say. Um, Black dialect. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not one who co-signed onto the whole notion of ebonics, right? But I could use kind of. Um, it, so, so what I would say is it was it was respected. Um, this now this is hindsight, right? This is this is hindsight. This was not foresight. But my um, my black lit teacher was in academia, mm. right? Where standard English was the was the it was is and always you know has been kind of the, the rule of the day, and my um, History teacher, though he had a graduate degree, was much more, um, I would say, inclusive and broader in thinking about what constituted um, scholarship. Sure, sure. Mm. I wonder, um, I don't want to sidetrack on this, but I'm just going to say this and, and they'll edit this out, that I wonder how much of that was connected to gender. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting um, th- that that tightrope that you walk thinking about Kamala Harris right the mm-hmm. other night. Yeah, this real tightrope that she had to walk around being authentic and knowing her audience was really mm-hmm. watching for that. Sure, how black okay. how black she was going to be. Right. Yes, and I, I think. She, but but I think what was masterful about is that she. I feel like she held both very well, mm-hmm. and so that um, she was fully her authentic. Um, sister girl self, if you will, right? Maybe not fully, because who can on national television or in life? But um, and but also um, told the line enough to to be accepted by whites as well. I would I would say that that's a toggle that um, I would say you know. Thinking about Kamala Harris, that's a toggle. And I've read several articles in the last couple of days um, from the line, you know, I'm speaking, et cetera. But that's a toggle that black women, this notion of what that line is, because it's not a stack. It's not a static line. Right. It, we, they, that goalpost or that line gets moved constantly. Right. right? And, and the energy one spends that I've spent in my in my um, professional life. Mm-hmm. Figuring out what that is, and then realizing, oh, it's 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 what it is for that day. It's what it is for that meeting. It's what it is for that yeah. for that job. It's what it is for that interview. That there's mm-hmm. no um, right, and and because of power, I don't get to decide what that is. Mm-hmm. I just get to decide how I'm going. I get to decide how I'm going to respond to it. Sure. So so let's talk about that a little bit in your own life. What does code switching look like for you? So. 
Um, I've been thinking about that question a, a, um, a lot. And I'll give you a, a quick story. I worked at a university where I, I just remember being tired a lot after a day. Mm. I just would just, and I, I tend to be really high energy. And I just remember, and I just was really, really tired. And I don't mean like, oh, um, you know, I'm going to go home and cook dinner and whatever. I would get home and that was it. Mm-hmm. I would, and it was, an, it was a weariness. It was a, I mean, my energy was drained and I, I couldn't figure it out. I thought there was something going on physiologically with me. Mm. And so, you know, started to eat better and, you know, exercise and it, was, it wasn't working. And um, I happened to have a coach at the time and shared, and she said, well, give me, you know, talk to me about, you know, a course, a, a typical day. Mm. And, and I gave her a couple of typical days and she said, oh, so you're spending all of your time managing your emotions oh. because you're trying to figure mm. out the space you're in. Mm-hmm. And the code switching wasn't so much mine, interestingly enough. I think it's, there's some sense that uh, historically marginalized communities are the folk who code switch. Not at all true, Right. Mm. And so what I was trying to figure out was what was the code? How do I break the code of the community that I'm now in? Because there was a code. Mm-hmm. And that code was being switched. And I was spending all this energy trying to figure out. So, so what was that conversation? Because I didn't have the code. Mm-hmm. And so we would have an hour conversation. And I would walk away going, I don't, I don't know what just happened. I don't know if we agreed on something. I don't know if we disagreed. Folk in the room seemed fine. Mm-hmm. I walked away like, okay. I don't know what just happened, right? What what was that conversation? And um, and so I think that this notice this is an idea. There's a thinking, and it's true that marginalized communities code switch. But I would say, so don't white communities code switch. Mm-hmm. And, and and what I found was, my experiences to to greater or lesser degree, I I was spending a whole bunch of capital, mm-hmm. meaning energy, on understanding the code. Mm-hmm. the culture, AKA culture of what I was in and then having to make a decision how much code switching I was willing to do. So, and that code switching is, is what you alluded to, body language, dress, um, language. How, once I learned, at least had some semblance of an idea of what the culture, AKA code, because all that's embedded in culture, right? Mm-hmm. Language and body and, and, um, and dress and behavior is all embedded in culture, which is so normative as to be sometimes invisible, mm-hmm. which is why it took me so long to figure out what was going on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Because rarely do organizations and institutions say, well, here's our culture. Rarely. Right. That mm-hmm. Rarely. Right. And, and you're kind of left to figure out what that is you, when you, um, I've been thinking about Paula Giddings when and where I enter mm. right? this, this notion of, so what does it look like when I enter white spaces mm-hmm. and what then I, how am I going to be and how much if, of myself am I going to put out there? Right. And how much code switching am I willing to do on any of the levels that you, you, you described. And so I would say throughout, I, I would say I'm less inclined to do it today, but I would also say that it's like cigarette smoke. Mm. That culture is like cigarette smoke. It's insidious. Mm. Right. That you don't know that you've signed on, you've co-signed on until you look up. I, I remember distinctly years ago, I worked at a university and my son was away from college um, and he came home one weekend and I got up and got dressed to go to work. He said, that's what you're wearing to work. 
I said, yeah. And he's like, oh, so when did you start dressing like that? Because you never used to dress like that. Like, what? What? That's what you want to work? And I had on jeans and a, you know, maybe a boot and a jacket. And he's like, oh, so, oh. And it did, when he said it, I, I just looked down at myself like, yeah, you're, <laughs> you're right. Mm. I, there was no day when I made a conscious decision to put away my suits and my whatever and pick up mm-hmm. but it was the culture of that mm-hmm. organization. And my son mm-hmm. just checked me real hard to say, so what, what, what happened? Mm. Right. Wow. And so, and, and so that was like, you know, those mirror reflections mm-hmm. of, um, mm-hmm. of that it's, that's why I think it's, it's, it's insidious. And some, sometimes um, it can be pernicious. Mm-hmm. So what's your sense about how you assess when, and what type of code switching is appropriate for a particular situation? That's a really good <clears throat> question. And I think, I think this is a, a, a I listened to a, a, a TED talk by a woman named Jamila Lyscott. I hope I'm saying her name right. Um, and she talked about morals and values. Mm. And so I think, I don't, I think when we get to that place, when my morals and values, when we bump up against my values or my morals is um, when I'm not necessarily willing to code switch. And by that, I don't mean speaking a different, what I would say linguistically, speaking different linguistically, what I mean is truth telling, Mm. right? What I mean is, you know, so that, um, and I want to say it as plain and direct as possible. I'm, I'm less at that point interested in how the response I get. Mm-hmm. Like people just have to be with that. I'm mm-hmm. less interested in my audience and more interested in, oh, this is something I have to say on mm-hmm. behalf of for whatever. When you bump up against my chest, mm-hmm. you know, it, you know I, I've, been, I've been really interested in, in body work of late with all the racism in the world happening and oh, happening, conti- you know, on, on um, kind of front and center. Right. Mm-hmm. Racism happened forever, but this front and centerness of it. And so I've been thinking about where even this notion of code switching, where do I feel it? So am I good with it? Mm. You know, is it does it does it do am I might betraying myself when I code switch? So how would you answer that question? <clears throat> I don't know the answer yet. Mm-hmm. I think there were times I think there were times when I have. Mm-hmm. I think there were times when I absolutely have and um did not because I think it's aggregate. Right. I think that if I was code switching, you know, once every six months, that's one thing. Mm-hmm. But I think if it has become, again, if it's if it's routine and it's expectation of the of the power of the dominant culture, that that's what you do. Then that's that's not neutral. Mm. You, I believe you're giving something up. Now, the, the one could one could say that I'm, I'm multilingual. I could say that I'm multilingual, that I can I have a I have a, a sensibility about the linguistic um, sensibilities of many communities that said, and institutionally, there's typically a dominant linguistic standard, mm-hmm. right? And there is a unspoken or spoken, often unspoken, sim- similar to dress, right? Mm-hmm. That, that I will figure it out. They won't tell me what it is, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? But I will figure it out after, sure. falling, off, after falling off some cliffs, I'll figure it mm-hmm. out. And I will make a decision whether or not to um, to to adapt, right? And I would say that there were times um, um, 
if you ask me for specific examples, I'm not sure I could give them to you, but I would say because that is what I was about to ask you. (laughs) (laughs) What I would say, what I would say is without a consciousness, so that sense of betrayal Mm. initially didn't pop up as a sense of betrayal. It may have popped up as a headache. It may have Mm. popped up as a as a roiling stomach. Mm-hmm. Right. It may have popped up. I, was, I don't feel like eating. Mm-hmm. And then at some point I had to have, as I am thrilled about, so one of the things I like about myself is that there's this internal monitor that says, so, you know, <laughs> we got to have a conversation. Right. So, you right. know, because something's going on with, with this. And um, and I think whenever we don't truth tell, that's a, it's an act of self-betrayal. Mm-hmm. Right. And and. And in the instance of uh, code switching, um, I, I will give you, I'll give you an example. B- back some years ago, um, the notion of social justice in higher education, that this notion that we were going to do social justice work. And it's, and interestingly enough, it's back, on the, back to the fore, right? Mm-hmm. With, right? It's back to the fore. But this notion of um, social justice and higher ed. Now, as a child of the 60s, they went hand in hand. Sure. Right. Sure. It, it was, you know, protests and, and all that was one thing. But this notion of social justice and um, and higher ed. And I remember um, at a university years and years and years ago that, you know, I had a um, we had several administrators who were uncomfortable with the language of of of, of social justice. Right. And want, really wanted the people doing that work to find another find other language. Right. And and and, and accept, because I think I I think that code switching often means you can't call a thing a thing. Sure. Right. It demands of us that we can't call a thing a thing. And I should have I really should have, Dr. Stacy. Um, as I've been thinking about this, always thinking about examples of when I code switch. I do remember I do remember being. Um, so this is higher ed, higher ed is my second profession. Sure. And um, I used to work. I used to run a series of or oversee a series of group homes. And uh, we were at a meeting one day and I was walking out and I said to someone, where you at? Mm. And um, mm. uh, my colleague said, that is, the, that is the blackest thing you said since you've been here. <laughs> and, uh, and this is, so this is, you know, this is, this, this is pre-grandkids. It is a long time ago. This is a, this okay. is my last year. But she, but she caught me and she's like, so yeah, that. You don't talk like that very often. And I think what happens, what I've been reading about code switching is sometimes in a sentence, you'll use, you'll be multilingual. You'll use like, you know, and that's what I did. So I went from this meeting and we were getting ready to go out and I had my keys in my hand. And I was like, well, where are you at? Mm. Right. And she came around the corner and she was like, and that is the blackest thing you said in a while. (laughs) (laughs) And and all I could do, all I could do was that because she was absolutely right. Mm-hmm. I knew I did not. I did not. Now, if I'm home on a Saturday night and my sister says, come pick me up, I'm like, well, where are you at? Right. 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 But I was taught, you know, that is not standard English. You don't put the preposition at the end of the <laughs> at the end of the sentence. Right. Mm-hmm. And so but I think that that that's how close to my um, to my consciousness that is. And that's the toggle that those things toggle um, mm-hmm. every day. And I was also raised in a house, interestingly enough where slang was really not all that tolerated. Mm, mm-hmm. Mom was not about, um, she was not about the slang. And she, um, for a whole bunch of reasons, but my my aunt was my principal in elementary school. Sure. Um, and that was my grandmother's sister. Mm-hmm. 
And this was a predominantly white school. And my okay. aunt was the first black principal in the city. Mm. So slang was not going to be, we were not going to be running around talking slang. Sure. Of course. And so that, that, um, no, that said we did all the time, but, but there was still this, <laughs> I mean, all of us did that, right. you know, all, all the time, but there was an ethos mm-hmm. in, the, in, the, in my house and in, sure. in, in elders about, about quote unquote slang. And it was, and it was the historical derivative of, of you were of, of acting black or not being educated or not having being sophisticated or not. And while my, while my um, relatives did, my elders didn't say that to me, I know that there was some rootedness in that as they, they were coming out of Jim Crow and civil rights. Sure. So you talked a little bit earlier about what some of the costs are to this consistent um, kind of movement, if you will, or the lack of being able to um, stand steady, for a moment, uh, what do you think the costs are for for you or for other folks like you? I mean, I think there's a wellness cost. Mm-hmm. Right. I think there's a. I think there's a. There's a second guessing cost. Mm-hmm. Right. There's a because part of it is about belonging, mm-hmm. and I, I, I fully believe. I fully believe that part of what is going on culturally is that a reminder that you are not part of you know dominant culture. Mm-hmm. Um, whether and I think that those reminders, those subtle and again, in this oftentimes invisible, are, are mm-hmm. very powerful, mm-hmm. and that that notion of belonging, mm-hmm. um, you know, people, you, you know, you'll often hear people say, you know, you can bring your full selves to to your work, and I know very few people um, able right. to bring their full selves um, right. to 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 the, to the workplace. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I think part of it is this notion of belonging, and 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 it doesn't let you it doesn't let you settle, mm-hmm. it doesn't let you settle, right? And if you're constantly in this place of disequilibrium, you can't bring your best self to the work, mm-hmm. whatever that work is. And so I think this notion of settling, that it doesn't let you settle, and I think it's just one of the many ways that it doesn't that that um, uh, black folks in white spaces can't settle. Right. right. That that is one of those ways, because I think belonging, you know, my my research suggests that particular this notion of belonging and then the impact of feeling that you can't. But one of the I think one of the most pernicious ways is that it doesn't let you settle in to then to being your best self, your best because mm-hmm. because you're using energy mm-hmm. to respond mm-hmm. to the disequilibrium. Yes. And that's energy. Energy is a finite resource. It's mm-hmm. not it's not <laughs> you don't have you know, un, untapped amounts of that. And so the energy that you could be using to, and, and whatever the, the, the milieu is, right. Whatever the environment is, it could be, it could be whatever that is. Um, but, but that energy, then it's that. And, and, you know, Toni Morrison um, talked about, you know, it just, it's pernicious. It doesn't let you be your best self. It keeps, mm-hmm. it distracts you. It's a distractor. It, right? it, takes, it takes you, mm-hmm. and she, you know, she talks about, it's a distraction. Mm-hmm. And it's distraction from your life, from your work, from your mission. It's a distraction. And and we tend to it as if it's normative. Yes. But in fact, mm-hmm. in fact, it's a it's distraction. That's what I felt like. It's a distraction. Well, it's it's, it's an interesting thing because I, I do think that this is um, one of the tools of white supremacy, mm-hmm. that uh, this notion that um, it is not OK for you to speak in a language or to move in a way in this culture that is most at home for you. Mm-hmm. Because this dominant and or white culture is better 
than that. And so there's almost a devaluing of that, um, of those other pieces of yourself that is not like white people or white right. folks or or what is supposed to be good. And I think actually, Lisa, that one of the costs of it as well is that there is it, it feeds internalized racism mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Um, and elitism and classism. It certainly wasn't the truth. That's the truth of my mom. I think that that was internalized racism, right? Mm-hmm. You're not going to speak. Mm-hmm. You're not going to speak slang in the house, right. right? You're not that. That was because the thinking is is that 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 language, her thinking, and my and that of my aunt, who who at you know 15 was ready to go to college, went south got her degree and couldn't, you know, had came back up north to teach and couldn't. So I had to go back south before. And all that to say, I think, I think, I think, yes, I think that there was, and if you would ask my mom, who was uh, just a, a, an amazing scholar in her, in her, in her own right, um, she would have said the answer is yes. Hmm. Because that, because she evolved from that place too, by the time she, um, you know, I was a, a full grown adult. She she had certainly shifted, but as a child, that mm-hmm. was the place that she was rooted in. Um, Jamila, uh, again, um, I think I'm saying her name right. Lyscott talks about this notion of the intersection of language, race, and power. Mm-hmm. Those three intersections, and mm-hmm. I just I just hadn't you know I think about intersectionality a lot, but I hadn't thought about intersectionality as much around race. I mean, around mm-hmm. language. Mm-hmm. Right. Where mm-hmm. language and race and power intersect. Mm-hmm. Right. Because to decide what the language is you're going to speak, you think about countries who say you can't speak your I mean, let's go be about slavery. You know, um, you could not speak your native, you know, your your right. your 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 first language. Right. Um, that was power. We wanted to take that from you. And and and, you know, how do I and, and which is why I say it's a tool of white supremacy. Yes, because mm-hmm. because that's cultural wealth. Yes. That's cultural wealth. My language yes. is cultural wealth. Yes. The way I speak is my cultural wealth. Mm-hmm. And, and to be and to be not able to tap that resource. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. As, as, as cultural wealth is a, is a mm-hmm. serious resource. Social capital is one. But cultural capital is another. Mm-hmm. When you don't have access to your cultural capital. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes, that diminishes that diminishes um, uh, my, my my toolkit. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing that got me thus far along the way, I'm no longer allowed to to utilize. So it, it's interesting. In therapy, oftentimes when you are seeing someone um, when English is their second language and that they are in a deep emotional place and having um, having a hard time articulating themselves over the years, I have encouraged them to say it in their native language. And that the breakthrough that comes from that is phenomenal. And so it really speaks to the power of that, that even if it's just one word in in that native tongue or the whole thing and whether I, the power is in the saying, not always in the hearing. And um, and it's a place where it really um, is an opportunity for providers, for therapists to move in an anti-racist way. I love that that the, that the power is in sometimes the saying, mm-hmm. because the release that, that what it releases to hear yourself say the thing that you need to say, right, and the way that you need to say it. I oftentimes, so you know, as a as a trainer, and and you know this, I think about who my audience is. Sure, right. I think about who my audience is, but at some point, I just have to say what I need to say, and um, in the in the way that I need to say it. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I'm happy to answer some questions, but I need to say it in a way that that resonates, as you just said, for sure. me. It, because if I don't, again, and I can tell, you, you asked me a question earlier, when I'm knotted, when I feel like I got to mm-hmm. un not mm-hmm. myself. I'm like, okay, so you didn't, you didn't, you just didn't speak your truth right there. Yeah. Or, yeah. or you know, you said it in such a way that you don't even recognize what, you know, what you said. I have a lot less of that as I've gotten older. Well, and I was, that's exactly where I was going to ask you earlier. How has this changed developmentally? I, I would, I think, I think it was, I think it was my research on black women mm. and leadership that, that unlocked so much for me in the, I, you know, I should have titled my dissertation, oh, so I'm not crazy. That's what I should have. Um, I think um, reading my story, I'm telling my story and, and really taking uh, time to do a deep dive into, into my own experience and then the experience of other Black women mm-hmm. that, that move in predominantly white spaces, including women in, in, you know, in business and C-suite places when when the decision was made um well first first what i would say is the the pattern of experiences that we all shared this notion of belonging of being second guest of 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 um of having to really knowing that a seat at the table was not enough <laughs> to be sitting mm-hmm. at the table sure. and and what and what that means when you're at that table not just for you but for other people mm-hmm. right um and and that once I really got into this notion of belonging and um, and voice and role expectations mm-hmm. of Black women, thinking mm-hmm. about Kamala Harris, right, and what people expected of me in terms of role expectations, that they were very narrow role expectations. And I was really good as long as I played to those role expectations. I was, I was a darling. Mm-hmm. I, I can't think of the article, but there was an article of going from darling to... To outcast, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I was really good as long as I, you know, we, these women I interviewed, we thought we were, yeah. Um, as long as the, and the role expectations had to do with, you know, um, somehow this, this, this deferential positioning, right? This deferential positioning that even that I, I knew what I knew, I wasn't always allowed to express that, that I knew what I knew. Um, mm-hmm. This notion of angry black woman, um, mammy, et cetera. So these were these role expectations, these tropes that had, they may not look exactly like they did in their original form, but trust me and believe me, they continue to operate, mm-hmm. right? And there's, it, what it took for me was an awareness of the consciousness was, like, oh, that's what that is. Mm-hmm. This is the way you expect me to behave. This is, so you have role expectations for me before I step foot on this campus. And that's, yeah. that, and that's the way the unconscious bias actually moves, right? Mm-hmm. Because there are these role expectations and I'm good as long as I don't step outside of those roles. And mm-hmm. one of those things is about questioning. One of those mm-hmm. things about, and, and this notion of how I'm able to use my voice. And I've heard that time and again from Black women I talk to. It's, you know, how do I use my voice? Do I use my voice authentically? So to your point, code switching, not just about language, but about using my voice in, in decision-making, using my voice in, in representing other folks, using mm-hmm. my voice, using my voice to say, so I have knowledge about that. Actually, I have subject, subject matter expertise about that thing, mm-hmm. right? Um, but it, so it's, it's also about use of voice. And when I began to unlock some of that to say, oh, that's what that is. Because interestingly enough, that shift from my background in mental health to and, and retardation to higher education, that same pattern of my experience did not change. Mm-hmm. 
about mm. about use yeah. and, and role expectations about mm-hmm. about and, and assumptions about the work I was willing to do embedded in role expectations. Now, again, most of that is unconscious. Most people, if you say, do you have role expectations for black women? They'll tell you absolutely not. This is the job and this is, but sure. they do. They operate as a part of organizational culture. They operate as a part of culture. Unequivocally. Yeah. So how do you cope, Dr. Scott? Like what kinds of things do you do to help you manage and mitigate the impact of this? Good question. Um, I am I am better at saying, so let's stop. So I am better at calling it out mm-hmm. when I feel like I've been, when <clears throat> Kamala Harris said, I'm speaking. I've gotten better. Like, excuse me, I'm talking. Mr. Vice President, I'm speaking. <laughs> I'm speaking. Um, that was so beautiful. But also, I've, I've I've gotten better at checking in with my with my body. Mm. So what I've what I've learned in the last few years is that my body is the telltale. Yeah, that um, it will tell me every time when mm-hmm. like something something's not good. You're gonna need to follow back up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've gotten better at saying, can we just follow up with that? Can I have a conversation with that? Um, and and saying and and asking the question. You know, they they talk about. Um, a lot of research talks about question asking. I will not ask the question in my mind after the thing. Even mm-hmm. when I'm at the doctor, even when I was at the doctor yesterday, um, we I had to ask some, you know, some questions. And so, and when I'm satisfied with asking that question, I always feel better. Even if the question was wonky, even if I didn't ask it perfectly, mm-hmm. I, I just don't want to go home with the question, with the mm-hmm. comment whirling sure. around. And when I don't, when I don't have that, when I get in my car, or when I, you know, get home and I'm like, ah, that was a good day. I probably was speaking, I was probably walking more in um, authentically. Yes, that's the perfect word. I was probably being more authentic. So Marcus Burke, who you know, mm-hmm. um, did the Angry Black Man episode uh, with us. This actually was our first episode and it is almost double any other episode um, on the um, that we've released. Um, as far as downloads are concerned. Thank you, Marcus. And um, he talked about sharing the love that what he has found that it is better for him to articulate what he's experiencing from a white person to a white person than for him to carry the whole load of it. And I think that's part of what you're saying is that instead of it just being in his mind, I should have said this and I can't believe they did that or whatever, that he just kind of says it and spreads it in a way that makes it less heavy for him. So it's interesting. Yeah, I, I remember because I listened to that podcast. I'm one of those people. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, you know, and I, 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 I agree with that to a, to a place. Mm. I am um, the older and older I get, I am less willing to be vulnerable for my white folks. Mm. So I, that's, and that's a, that's a self-protection measure. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause I, I don't know what you're going to do with my vulnerability. You bet. Right. So mm-hmm. I am probably more thoughtful about spreading it than I, than I once mm-hmm. was. I'm just, I'm just thoughtful. I, I I'm, and I also don't, I'm not, and I don't like being the role of a teacher. So I want to share my experience and I don't mm-hmm. mind necessarily being angry, <laughs> you know, like, I, like that trope, like, like, because, because in some ways I'm thinking about role expectations, 
black women have mm-hmm. not like look, just think about Kamala. You're not allowed to be angry. You're not allowed to say mm-hmm. so. That didn't work. Like that. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not allowed to be. I don't need to come home with. I don't have a cat, but you know, come home and kick the cat or slam the door or break a glass. Like I, like I, like that. I'm bothered right now. Like I'm really. Can we have a conversation? Because I'm really. And I, I've had several instances of of several over my career of being disrespected in the workplace. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, said to myself, you should probably just pick up your stuff and go home right now. Cause you got bills to pay. So don't you just go home. And so what I have is a 24 hour rule. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. My 24 hour rule has been with me for a very, very long time, probably decades mm-hmm. where I have to check myself. Is it my ego or am I really offended? Mm-hmm. Right. And so I have to, and so I, my 24 hour rule is somebody came out their mouth. I think sideways. And, um, I could, I, you know, I have, I have a, re- I have a reaction and the next morning, if it's gone and I, I may follow up, but it's not a big deal. But if I wake up in the morning, I'm like, oh yeah, <laughs> that thing is still, I wake up the minute I blink awake, it's right there. I, mm-hmm. I, I have to, yeah. then, then I have to, then I have to um, respond to it. Cause I, I have ego. And so I just have to make sure that what I'm responding to is not, um, is not that. Now, my ego, um, though, is also a bellwether for me as well. So I'm not suggesting that, that, that my ego has no, has no value, but I want to make sure that it's not all that. Well, and I think part of, part of um, the psychological principle of um, that when you are most resilient, when you see things that has happened to you as external, situational, and unstable, versus you see things that happen to you as internal, permanent, and disposition. That's right. And being able to balance both of those things because either end of the continuum too much, like like internal um dispositional and stable is depression, but external um unstable and situational, if nothing that is happening in your life is because of you or you don't have any um any role in it, we call that narcissism. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so your examination of the your examination of where your ego sits is a really important one. And I will also say that it is part of your identity as um, a woman who has minoritized identities in the sense of those kind of calisthenics. Our white colleagues don't have to do Absolutely. all the time. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And what I was and one of the things I mean, one of the questions that you asked me earlier is, you know, the impact of code switching. And I would say it's, 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 it's sheer exhaustion. It's sheer, yeah. it's sheer yeah. utter exhaustion. And again, of having to, it's the, it's the disequilibrium of not being, I, I remember um, coming to beginning at my time at one institution and I was on campus for two days and somebody walked up to me, a white person walked up to me and said, so how long are you staying? And I was huh. like, ah, oh, that's an interesting question. Who else do you ask that question? To because the implication was this is not this is not for you that you are passing yeah, right. you are passing through and right. you're not going to have a thirty year career here so how long right. are you staying mm-hmm. not welcome well the question to me is how long are you going to let right. me stay so how long are you going to create a space that I can do my work in a way that's going to be helpful for this institution or is it going to be too right. much for you right right yeah. so that that yeah, and yeah. I and I have to say I've, I've been asked that question more than once. once? That's more than once. How long are you staying? Because it's because the and I and I you know I think you know for 
for for black women, um, uh, this notion, and you know, I don't, I, I can't speak I, the black women. I, I, I talk to this notion of um, again this disequilibrium. That's what that did. How long are you staying? Is because you're not going, you're not settling in here, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Are you mm-hmm. buying a home? Or how long are you staying? Because this really isn't mm-hmm. for you. We know that you're passing through mm-hmm. because the black women who've come before you haven't stayed either, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so how long are you going to be here? Because so again, around role expectations, the assumption that, you, that your time here in on, on this, this, this space is limited. Well, and it also puts the, it, it, it's a blaming the victim um, oh, schema in the sense of that, that the problem absolutely. with the black women is that they can't stay versus that the problem, you know, the problem, the problem with racism is the racist, right? And so that, that the implication is that you are the problem and y'all can't stay, you can't stay. versus that this institution is a difficult one for black women. It's very stay. similar to yeah. when we have, you know, black and brown or minoritized students who, who, who are sure. You know, where do, the question becomes, where do you put the onus? Is the only right, right? Is the only on the institution right. or on the student? And you know, many, many times right. the onus is on the student. Yeah, yeah. In the distance, absolutely right. But that is, absolutely right. Yeah, but that doesn't mean that it's. Oh no, absolutely not. No, absolutely not. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely yeah. not. Yeah. Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. And you know, and yeah. I think, um, um, Dr. Stacy, many years ago, I learned from you know PLEs, right? That we have a perfectly yes, logical, absolutely. we have perfectly logical explanations as to no as to mm-hmm. why that student, that that black woman, that that whomever did not, and again, I'm talking about my story, but my my reading suggests that this is true in the C-suite, in corporate America. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is mm-hmm. true um, in, in many, many instances where the onus for persistence, persisting, mm-hmm. um, is on the that person, not the organization, which of course is people, <laughs> right? Which of course is people. Right. Which of course is right, people, right. not bricks and mortar. Mm-hmm. So there's a, a great book. It's an oldie but goodie called Shifting: The Double Lives of Black Women. And part of um, part of their premise is that there is this notion that African American women have their feet in both worlds, in their home community and then in the larger uh, dominant culture, and that that there's a certain amount of energy and um, moving and, and lack of um, lack of being able to stay steady, as you said earlier, that happens, right? And so, as you were code shifting in in these predominantly white spaces, is there something else that happens when you are shifting back to your home culture? Yeah, it's, it's a really good question. Um... <laughs> You know, I smile because when I shift back, it's like a warm bath. Like it is like, you know, it is it is the the loosening of my shoulders. It is the it is the um, the familiar the, fam- the familiarity, right? It is the vulnerability. It is the um, I've been I've been listening to a lot of Resma um, Medicum, right? And he um, mm-hmm. wrote my grandmother's hands, and he talks about one of his exercises is to look when you're anxious is to look in back of you, right? It's to turn your head and to look in back of you and it's like being aware of, you know, your surroundings is to turn your body slowly and to look mm-hmm. to your right. So on the one hand, you're stretching your neck, 
to your left and your right, right? But you also are seeing that you are safe, right? You're, you're doing the scan. Mm. And, and when I go home, I don't do that. I don't have to do that. Mm-hmm. When I go home, mm. I, um, I don't do that. And so that mm-hmm. would be one of the, um, the shifts that happen. I would say, you know, I come from a family, you know, given what you just, <clears throat> and your question, <clears throat> what I would say is that many of my family members, um, the black women in my family, you know, work in predominantly white spaces. Um, and we recognize that I have, you know, I, I so adore my family that, <laughs> um, that yeah, when I go home, I'm conscious of the relaxed, and I say home, you know, in quotes, because wherever my family is, is home, right? And it, so it doesn't, it doesn't matter, but there is a, there is a um, settling that Menachem talks about, a settling of my body mm-hmm. that I experience. There's a, there's a, and I, there's a, there's a, and I just love this notion of settling. Because I think, I think mm-hmm. whether we know it or not, I, I, again, I, I'll speak for myself. I recognize my hypervigilance. I recognize mm-hmm. my vigilance when I go home. I recognize mm-hmm. how much I have been being hypervigilant mm-hmm. when I go home. Sure. In and the, the absence, absence of, of that's it. right. Sure. So I recognize, I don't recognize it as much until I am, a, until I don't have need for it. And, and the interesting thing is mm-hmm. it's involuntary. My body just knows, mm-hmm. right? It just settles mm-hmm. in. And that's mm-hmm. when I think the cost of code switching. And, and to your earlier point, I don't think that that is the, the same experience for my white um, colleagues, peers, and other folk, right? So I think that that, that, um, that for me is the biggest, um, uh, <clears throat> the biggest, uh, the, the biggest thing I noticed. The most part, the primary thing, I think I would say the primary thing that I notice when I, um, when I go home. So you just did an exercise that I just want to encourage our listeners to do in the moment as well. I tried it while we were on the phone with moving your head to the left and to the right. And I actually carried tension, well, in a couple places of my body, but in my neck. And, and so the next time that you get into a situation, listeners, that you find yourself code switching or that you are hyper aware of race-based stress and how it's impacting your body, that that's something that you can do even in a meeting when folks are acting crazy. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, he, he talks about, you know, that there, um, he presents, a Menachem presents a, a trove of, of, to your point, Dr. Stacey, um, kind of easy, simple exercises that one can do from the breath to humming, right? That humming, humming mm-hmm. settles the body. Right. Humming settles the body. Um, and so, you know, he talks about that, that the reason the old folks hummed, right, that that the, my, my grandmother, and my mother hummed. It was a settling in. Mm-hmm. Right. I didn't even mm-hmm. need to say the words. It was just the settling in. And I when I did that exercise of turning my head, you know, so do you feel lows better? No, but I feel like there is this kind of, OK, I know my surroundings. I stretched my neck because like you, I carry my stress there. But he said that he said mm-hmm. that that is physiological. That's that that's that mm-hmm. muscle. That's that that nerve. Right. Mm-hmm. That's that nerve that's on alert. Right. Sure. And so sure. and so I have to your question, I have, you know, I breathe in for four seconds and hold it. I breathe out. I mean, I, that does settle me. That does settle me mm-hmm. in spaces. I really have had to cultivate a 
a, a bit of a a bag of of quick exercises I can do, toolkit that I can do um, in the moment. And I don't have any problem anymore excusing myself and saying, oh, this is the day that, you know, the Lord has made and I'm going to um, take it. <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, I'm going to do it and be glad in it, you know, by staying home. <laughs> that's awesome. That, that's, so so can, you, um, can you say the name of the book The name again? of the book Just... is My Grandmother's Hand. Um, the and author's it, name is Resma, R E S M A A. His last name is. Um, let me make sure I get the spelling right. I think it's Menakim, M E N, um, A K E M. He is a L I C S W, M S W L I C S in Minneapolis. Um, he does a lot of uh, racial body trauma work. Beautiful. Thank you for that. Yes. So is there thing, anything that you thought that I would ask you that I did not as it relates to code switching that you'd like to share or any other pearls of wisdom? One of the things, thank you for the question. I, one of the things I thought about was safety. Code switching mm. is a safety mechanism. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that historically you know, this is Menicum's piece. This stuff is intergenerational, right? This stuff is intergenerational, mm-hmm. right? And so yeah. this notion of code switching as a safety mechanism and that, um, and I think that that was kind of what my mother and my elders, that was, they were, it was rooted in, in some ways in safety. You're not going to go here. So you're not going to go here and say these things. This notion about, you, you remember, you know, you, mm-hmm. you know, and you could look black folk in the eye, but you weren't going to cross the street and look white folks directly in the right eye, right? That was a safety mechanism. So you code switch, uh-huh. right? And so uh-huh. I think some of that uh, remains today that, I, I, you know, that we couldn't be loud when we went out in public when uh-huh. I was a kid. We couldn't, we had sure. to behave. Sure. And that was code switching around safety, mm-hmm. but it was also around appearance and perception of who we were. Uh-huh. Right, mm-hmm. because um, to to act more in dominant culture, I also known as white culture, we there were there were, um, and there's you know just tons of research about that. But I wanted to mention, you know, um, historically made we made, you know, we coach with in, in many ways in many instances around um, around safety. Um, one of the things that this um, Jamila. Um, I keep looking at her name, um, Lyscott talks about is um, that these linguistic hoops that people have to go to is dominant culture, right, is powerful to, to say to students, you need to talk this way, write this way, act this way, behave this way. And when you strip away cultural wealth, when you strip away mm-hmm. cultural knowledge, that's a, that's a form of violence, right? When you when you say mm-hmm. the thing the thing that that is essentially who you are, right? Mm-hmm. And that I can't affirm you unless you write the paper like this, talk like this, walk like this, etc. As opposed to understanding what a what a heck of a resource that cultural wealth is to learning, sure. to learning, to mm-hmm. to leadership, to right. to to whatever it is that we do, to whatever it is that we do. Um, Mm-hmm. Is 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 so problematic. It's so problematic, and and mm-hmm. in, in the classroom, she she calls it a, a form of violence. Mm-hmm. Interesting. 
Wow. And I, I think I think what you're saying as well is that in this process of code switching, it is important to find a way to not lose yourself or to not devalue the fullness of who That's you right. are. And so that there's your professional self, but there's your, just your That's black right. self. And your black self is good. Well, and I'm trying my best to not have an have a bifurcation. That that binary. Yes. That's better. And, That's and, and merge better. And, and be able to and be able, yes. Yes. And mm-hmm. well, so they can see me. So uh, this is, <laughs> what I'm doing is putting my hands together, intertwined with each other, but more integrated well, is what right. you're saying. Because because mm-hmm. that dysfunction that arises that can mm-hmm. arise from that bifurcation mm-hmm. and that binary, which is why a lot of my mm-hmm. colleagues have chosen to walk away from certain professions. Sure, of course, of course, that's good. So what would Dr. Scott say to little Lisa? So younger to a younger Lisa? Uh-huh, yes. Ah, oh, that's the question. What would I say to? For what you know now. Mm-hmm. You know, my, my, I'm thinking about when you ask the question, I think about my mom who would say, <laughs> I know that I know. Mm. Right. I know that I know. And I, so I know what I know. I don't okay. pretend to know everything, but I know what I know. Okay. And okay. and um, being comfortable and honoring that I know what I know and not shrinking um, as a result of cultural or, or code, cultural code switching. Because I think the word cultural and code switching are 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 integrated, that they, they're, one is inherent in the other. So that I know what I know mm. and that um, you're going to have a problem. You're going to have a response, a reaction, whether you speak truth to power or not. Mm. But one, one you don't have to own. <laughs> so when I, so mm. when, I, when I do, like I said, when I come home and I'm not nodded, it was a good day. Now, that, that doesn't mean there won't be consequences. But I won't be, to, sure. but to your earlier point, I won't be holding that in my spirit. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. So this is a question that we I've asked everyone that I've interviewed, and um, I have feelings about the question, different feelings about this question than I had 16 episodes ago. What's the one piece of advice that you would give white people in dealing with people of color to make the environment less so that they would have to code switch? Or more inclusive. What's the one piece of advice? What's the one piece of advice that I would give to white people in in dealing with people of color? Mm-hmm. I guess I would I would give white people the advice, and regardless of dealing with people of color or not, right? I would the, okay. my advice would be to do your work, to do your work, to have a level of self consciousness and awareness around mm-hmm. your whiteness. And, mm-hmm. and all that that means, regardless if you ever meet a black person or interface with a black person or not, that sure. that that um, I'm not, you know, I, I don't I don't sit here at all and profess perfection. But what wrangles me is folk who just don't do their work, who um, and 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 here's the rest of the story and know that there is work that they need to do. Mm-hmm. There's one thing to be, um, you know, 
um, kind of uh, selectively ignorant. But I think the other thing for me is to, 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 to know that you have work to do, to mm-hmm. understand mm-hmm. Uh, privilege, to understand white privilege, and then to intentionally not do your work. Mm-hmm. But to your point, but to your question, if you are in positions where you can affect the life trajectory of someone, it is imperative, right, that you do your work. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't care if it's, it's the life trajectory of someone, then it is imperative. You know, um, one of the reasons I do what I do is, and I'm right, is because of I know that I am impacting the trajectory of of, of people, right, of students, and so um, that's all I ask in return is that you do your work. If in particular, but in particular, if you are in a place where you are going to impact the trajectory, in particular of young people, and particularly the lives of young people, I, that that is just unacceptable for me to not do that work. It is. Very good. Well, that is where we will leave it. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Dr. Thank you. Uh, yes, I really, really appreciate this conversation and I think it will be of great value to people who are able to hear it and listen. This episode was edited by Nikki Anderson. Special thanks to our interns, Amanda Gillette, and other contributors. Our music is provided by Jaffa. Being the Dot is sponsored by davidsdeliciousdelights.com. davidsdeliciousdelights.com. Custom-made, personalized cakes, pies, cookies, and pastries made with a dash of Southern flair. Visit davidsdeliciousdelights.com. And use the coupon code being the dot for 20% off orders of $34.99 or more. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye. <laughs>